We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. Just wanted to thank all of our new listeners for stopping by and checking out the podcast over the last couple of days as we have had a lot to talk about in terms of the Levert trade and then, of course, the acquiring of Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. So just a lot to talk about on our episodes over the last couple of days. But today we're going to bring on Jay Michael, former beat writer of the Indy Star. He's down in Orlando right now working for the Orlando Sentinels. So just want to thank Jay so much for coming on. I think you guys are going to love this insight because Jay knew this core very well when he covered the team. And so he shared some insight on what the Pacers' thoughts were as they were kind of building this roster over the summer and, and, and looking to quote unquote run it back, which we don't have to worry about anymore. But that was kind of what Jay's reporting was all about. And so now we're going to get a little bit of a insight on what he thought of all these trades and what he saw coming in terms of what Carlisle wanted and moving forward with this team. So I think you're going to enjoy this one, but thanks again, everybody for checking out setting the pace. Hope you enjoyed this episode. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And we are joined today. He is no stranger to this podcast. Was covering the team before he left for Orlando. Uh, so one and only Jay Michael. Jay, welcome back, man. Hey, man. Good to be back, except I'm, uh, I'm not up to my knees in snow like you guys. <laughs> Well, thankfully, we did get a little bit of a, of a warmer day here in the 40s, so some of that snow is melting away. But um, speaking of things melting away, the Pacers core that you covered for your tenure here is completely changed now. And so uh, I'm sure you have a lot of interesting thoughts and, uh, you know, comments on what this team is doing. So let's start with yesterday's blockbuster trade of the of DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, and Justin Holliday going to the Sacramento Kings for – Halliburton, Heald, and Tristan Thompson. Um, you know, a lot of questions about Turner and Sabonis, but you have been very adamant with Rick Carlisle coming here that you always thought Sabonis would be the guy move. So can you just kind of walk us through that and what you think about this trade? Um, well, I mean, you know, Carlisle wanted to, coming in, he wanted to emphasize and build around Karis LeVert as the offensive weapon and uh, take the ball out of Sabonis' hands a little bit more often. And... You know, I think you saw some issues with that, <laughs> with um, Sabonis um, early on in the season. Mm -hmm. It went back to him, obviously, uh, because Karis LeVert proved to not be the most reliable, uh, not the most efficient option either. Um, and I think 
Rick had his ideas on how he thought the team could work or would work. And they were going to give it a minute. And, and then, as you saw, gave it a few months, see how this stuff works out. Um, and, you know, decide to move on from both of them. I, I mean, the Karis LeVert news is like the most least surprising thing ever for me. Agreed. Um, you know, I knew from, tr- trust me, there's, let me put it this way. There are certain observations I've made of Karis LeVert in my time covering the Pacers uh, about his, um, you know, n- look, he's a scorer more so than a shooter. And so that guys like that are going to take some difficult shots and um, low efficiency shots. But there's going to be games where they do take those shots and they're going to go in and they're going to bail you out. So you take the good with the bad with that. My issue with Levert was two things. Uh, defensively, as you know, he's a no-show. Um, and he doesn't really contribute to help out with that with those long arms and that long frame with rebounding at all. Uh, dies on screens repeatedly. Um, I mean, it's pretty much a mismatch. After he gets screened off, he's completely out of the play. He never hustles to get back in front of, to veer back in front of his man if they switch uh, onto the big. And you see guys like, you know, sometimes it's Turner, sometimes it's Sabonis getting murdered inside. And, you know, I'll see fans getting mad at him. It's like, guys, you, you're taking your eye off the ball. You got to take your eye off the ball. The person at fault is Karis LeVert. <laughs> and so I looked at all the things that he didn't do well that hurt you. And let, let, I'll put it this my, put it mildly. I've had more than uh, one person uh, with the team tell me uh, when I was still on the beat, like how they'll see a video I'll put out like, man, you nailed it. Like, so, like, so I knew what the, the feeling was about him because if I saw it, obviously they saw it. And, uh, and I think they knew that that time was coming. So I thought they did good to flip Levert um, and get what they got for him. It was time to m- make that move. Um, he still was a good get for them out of the Oladipo thing, considering where Oladipo was. So, uh, but I, moving on from Levert was the right thing to do. And the Sabonis move, um, I, I, you know, I, I caught brush back. I remember last year from so many people when I said there was a feeling in the organization that they thought he had, he was getting selfish and that that it came with the all-star selections about him being the best player. The team wasn't playing well. He was getting frustrated. And, you know, I got inundated with how dare you call him selfish. And I said, I wasn't calling him selfish. I'm telling you the tone within the team was that they felt like he's kind of gotten a little bit selfish with his play. And then you saw at the end of that Nate Bjorkren year, um, uh, afterwards, uh, I remember Pritchard coming out and speaking publicly, and he made a reference to the way the team played, that they didn't play for each other. And that was all the hints of that he, they, they, the chemistry just wasn't good. So you had Sabonis who rubbed at least a few key people in the organization the wrong way. Uh, and They've been doing it. He's been getting these statistics. He's been putting up these great numbers. I'm not comparing him to Russell Westbrook in this regard, but I'm, I'm comparing him only in that the numbers haven't translated into success for the team. And at some point, you got to blow it up. And I, you know, I think they're probably a year too late doing it, but they were able to get Therese Halliburton, so maybe not. Maybe they struck right on time. They got a good return, as far as I'm concerned, as well as Remember going into the season before I left, I said, Jeremy Lamb, they're going to move him. That was a foregone conclusion for a while. He just had to prove that he was healthy, and he's on an expiring deal. Uh, the way Justin Holiday was playing this year, there was no doubt in my mind 
he was going to get moved. Now, I didn't know that for a fact when it came to Justin because I hadn't been covering the team this year. But it seemed pretty evident with the way he was playing um, that being able to move those guys and get Halliburton in return, I, I mean, I, I don't see what you can dislike about that. Um, yeah, I thought it was a very good move. You know, the, the Pacers initially said that they would not rebuild. They would not tear it down, but they said they were going to retool. This is definitely tearing it down and a rebuild. But when you get a player like Tyrese Halliburton, what does this do for the future of the Pacers? I mean, how quick of a rebuild can it be when you have such a promising piece at point guard? I think it can be – it can turn around quicker. Um, I mean, is it going to be by next year? They're going to be in the second round of the playoffs? I don't know, but depending on what they do between now and the start of next season, I think that's that's not an unrealistic expectation. I'm not going to say that's going to happen yet, but I think they are – I wouldn't even call this a rebuild. Um, th- this is more of a – maybe a restructuring because – now, if they end up trading Miles Turner and Malcolm Brogdon before – by the time, you know, before this is all said and done and completely – you know, selling out and, and getting picks, doing like Oklahoma City, to me, that's more of a rebuild. This is more like a shifting of the paradigm because one thing that they've been trying to do for the last couple of years, and they've known this for a while, they needed more diverse players who can, you know, Halliburton is what, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, guys who can handle the ball, who can defend the position, who could slide over and play play the two, slot back and play the three, that kind of thing. Guys who are interchangeable. And I think what you're seeing is them trying to move to a lineup that's more conducive to that type of basketball. Since they've been stuck around Turner and Sabonis for so long, that prevented them from making that move. And I think what you're going to see here in the short term is they're going to, whatever moves they make is going to be towards that direction of, having those kind of lineups where you can roll out five guys, the tallest guy might be six, nine, and it's your best lineup. And all of those guys can defend ball handlers and fight big guys in the post and who can shoot threes. That's what they're trying to become. Now you, you covered miles Turner for a while when you were here. And so obviously he's been a little bit frustrated with his role. And we've seen some stuff on Twitter, social media with him being a little bit frustrated and voicing those frustrations. And then of course, going to, the athletic talking about him basically not liking his role and wanting role clarity. So now that the Pacers have moved on from Sabonis and Turner looks to be the guy moving forward, do you anticipate him, you know, increasing his statistical numbers or are making a major impact on this team now that they've kind of shifted the way they're going to play? Or do you think that it's going to be the status quo with him no matter who's out there on the floor with him? He's still going to be the same guy with the same role. I think he's going to be – well, I think you're going to see him get some more post-ups closer to the rim, obviously. That hasn't been the strength of his game. Maybe less threes from him if you get enough shooters around him. And he can be one of those guys that takes, you know, an occasional three here and there, but not that's not just parked at the three-point line the entire time. Um, uh, so I think you see a little shift in his role. I, well, his production – I don't know if his production or all of a sudden he's going to be a 20-point-a-game scorer – and get double-digit rebounds. I don't necessarily believe that's going to happen with him. Um, but I think, could he be a more efficient player? Pro- he could be a little bit more efficient. I don't know if his numbers get better. Maybe in order for him to get 15 points instead of taking, 
10 shots. Now it's going to take eight shots or something like that. I think he might be a more efficient player if this roster uh, reconstruction uh, works out and uh, he's able to do what he normally does. I don't, I don't think Miles is, you know, I, I don't think he's ever going to be a high volume scoring kind of guy. I just don't, or, or pack statistics. Is he going to all of a sudden start getting double doubles and triple doubles like Sabonis? I, I don't, I don't foresee that. But Sabonis is a better ball handler. He's a better passer. Um, he's better in the post. Uh, so I don't expect him to have those numbers. But I think, I mean, I guess as I say that, if you're listening to this, you'll say, well, why would you trade Sabonis and not Turner? Well, as I said, Sabonis doing those things, it's about fit. And if you're going to restructure the roster in this way, where you bring in guys like Halliburton and you're going to emphasize Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, who clearly they're really high on, is going to be the guy that they think he can be, um, then you don't need to have because those guys won't all fit with like Sabonis. You need to move him out and you need to put a guy like Turner in who's not going to necessarily take away from those guys. And, we're not, and I don't mean to say Domas was taken away in the sense that he was, you know, uh, taking shots away from him. But, you know, he was the focal point of the offense. And I don't, I don't think when they restructure the team that all of a sudden Miles Turner becomes the focal point of the offense. I think you're going to see Rick Carlisle be able to do what he really wants to do with the offense. And I don't think he was able to do that or achieve that with Sabonis as the guy. No, I, I agree. And look, I think it's common knowledge that if Sabonis is the guy, then we're not going too far. So good player, but not the kind of player that can shoulder a team. Um, but the Pacers are in a very unique spot because they have a lot of assets over here. Look, you have Buddy Heald, who right now could be on the move, could remain. You have Rubio's expiring deal, TJ Warren's expiring deal. There's Torrey Craig. There's Tristan Thompson's expiring deal. There's under 24 hours to go in the deadline. Do you think the Pacers are done making moves, or was this all strategic to get these moves done in time with enough time to spare? I don't think they're done with moves. They have too many expiring deals to be done. Agreed. Um, you know, if they don't make another move, I don't think it's going to be for the lack of trying. Um, so, you know, there's some, you know, the, the, what they're doing right now is they're, they're hitting, they're basically saying, look, this season is a wash, which everybody's, you know, that's not a revelation to anybody who's been, who's been paying attention. This season is a wash, but I think, um, you know, they make, they make one more good move um, and get one more asset that they can flip like a, another draft pick. And if they can have another strong draft, this upcoming year, they can get some assets, have another strong draft. Because to me, Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, they knocked it out of the park. I was nailed it. I was I was talking. I mean, I even though I'm off the beat, I, you know, I have people call me, and I'll you know, I, I was talking to two people this week, one executive for another uh, Western Conference team, and we were talking about the Pacers, and I mean, him saying to me, he's like, "Man, they killed the draft," and you know that that's what that's that's kind of the consensus with Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, just absolutely love their draft. So if you have another draft, one more draft that's strong like this one, plus you have Halliburton and maybe what other couple, other couple of pieces you're able to bring in, and now you're looking at a pretty strong team. That's not a that's a that's a that's a strong playoff team for the for the short term, and you know you have a legitimate chance to get out of the first round if, of course, that if is a big if, if they do the right things. One more, another move here at the trade deadline, another move or two. 
then having a strong draft, um, then you, I think the, the outlook is going to be dramatically different. And then the question is going to be like, okay, look at where you're at now. Why didn't you do this before? <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe a Halliburton wasn't available before. Um, and it's simple as that. Uh, but it's going to be like, you know, they, they needed to make a decision um, on, on this whole Turner Sabonis thing. And finally they did it. They had to see these kind of results. And, you know, part of the reason why they didn't want to move Sabonis is because, you know, they thought he was the draw. That, you know, no matter what happened, fans are going to pay and come see the Pacers because it's Sabonis. Then they saw this year, okay, Sabonis is putting up good numbers. The team stinks. Nobody's showing up, even with Sabonis. <laughs> that, that look, that drawing power that they thought that, you know, if that arena was still selling out because it was just these many people who just wanted to see him play, I, I'm not so sure that deal happens. But when you throw that on top of the fact that you couldn't put asses in seats, um, it makes that decision a lot easier, um, a lot easier. I thought they were going to – you know, in March, I think it's in March when they deal with the season ticket renewals. That's when a lot of owners have kind of like that come to Jesus moment. Like, oh, people aren't, you know, if you get anything under 80% renewal rate, um, that is a bad sign. And usually they wait till March and they'll see that. Um, but obviously they, they know where this whole thing was headed and went ahead and made the decision sooner than later. So I think the the empty seats actually also contributed to making this move now because just doing what you're doing with Sabonis is the centerpiece, not just X's and O's wise for the coach, but in terms of fan interest, just wasn't cutting. No, I agree with you. And uh, it, it was pretty bu- uh, brutal to go watch a game. There was the, the arena was just dead, but um, you know, you were really on that Chris Duarte pick, you know, weeks before the draft happened, you had got some Intel on the Pacers and, and Duarte being their guy. And so now that they've acquired Halliburton, it looks like, you know, you could see the future of those two guys starting together, but Malcolm Brogdon is still in this mix. So how do you think the Pacers go about trying to play those combination of players together? Or, or do you think that ultimately this could be the end for, for Brogdon and potentially T.J. McConnell? Yeah, um, Brogdon's curious case, man, because he got the extension. He's hurt again. Um I think ideally, you know, if he was fully healthy and everything, I think they would, you know, they probably would be willing to move on from him. I, I don't, I don't know if you can move him right now. I mean, who knows? Maybe by the time the trade deadline ends, they find a way to move him. Maybe somebody will wave the physical on him. Um, I, I, Brogdon really makes this as a mystery to me, uh, exactly what you do going forward. Um, I don't think, I think they realize that Brogdon isn't the long-term solution there in that position. Um, but yeah, I, you know, as I said a minute ago, like I see a team of, you know, a, 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 of a bunch of, you know, 6'5", six, 6'4", six, to 6'8", to 6'9", six, six, guys who can boogie with the ball and get their own shot and, and mix it up and defend and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think they want to play faster. They want to be more athletic because that's what you have to do to be able to compete in this league at the highest levels. Um, uh, but I, I, and as a result of that, you know, is Brogdon's is his big is his big plus his speed? No, athleticism and that kind of thing. No, um, so I, I don't know how he fits what I know they wanted to do going forward with reshaping the team. 
Um, and yeah, TJ McConnell's is another one. I think, you know, I think I told you guys uh, last time we talked, TJ McConnell was uh, not a uh, was not a Rick Carlisle guy. Mm-hmm. That's a Kevin Pritchard guy. Um, and if, if Carlisle had autonomy on what to do with that spot, I don't think they would have resigned TJ McConnell if it was solely up to Rick Carlisle. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm saying Rick Carlisle dislikes him or they have any issues or any friction. I'm not saying that. But in terms of what he envisions in that position, I don't think TJ McConnell brings what he ideally would want. And so that's what happens, though, when you have coaches. I think I remember saying to you guys, too, at one point, how Nate McMillan wanted Jeff Teague a few years ago in free agency. And I can't remember who they got instead. But, um, but yeah, you'll see that happen between a coach and a front office. Front office wants this, coach wants that. The front office wins out. Sometimes Rick Carlisle wins out. I think here, Rick Carlisle, in what he wants to do and how he envisions the team, is, is starting to win out. If you see T.J. McConnell out of here, um, that's really going to signal to me Carlisle's having a lot of a lot more influence because, um, you know, because, you know, like I said, I, he wasn't the ideal choice for Rick from what I understood. But they got to think about how to reshape this team. If you're going to go this route, like they just made this, this move, you can't go halfway and do just a couple of moves and stop short and try to serve two masters. You got to go all the way. And that would mean no Brogdon, uh, no McConnell, in my opinion. You know, another guy across at the, you know, stuck in the crossroads that we've kind of forgot about, TJ Warren. I mean, a guy from the past, our leading scorer of just two years ago, has not been able to get on the court. Now, when you're talking about the Pacers going all the way, it seems pretty unlikely that Warren would be factored into their future plans. Do you think TJ Warren has played his last game as a Pacer, or do you think they're going to bring him back, try and get him some run out there, even if it goes completely against what they're trying to do this year? I think they may try. I mean, because you think about it, he's about to expire, right? Yep. You can get him cheap. That's number one. You can get him cheap. You've invested a lot of time. Your, your, your medical staff's invested a lot in getting him back. If you think he's physically back, then you can get him on a good deal. And maybe you bring him off the bench as a sixth guy. Would he be a – even if he's only 85% of what he was, is that a, still a pretty good player? I would say so. Um, so – I think they could um, because I don't, I don't know what TJ Warren's options because he will have missed basically most of two years. Yeah. Played right? four games. Four games. Other year. So he doesn't have a whole lot of leverage at the negotiation table with that. And you've basically been paid your full salary <laughs> to, yeah. to, to be injured these last couple of years. So the pace is going to be like, Hey, we stuck by you. We, you know, Hey, you know, and, and, and come to, some sort of maybe a one plus one deal where the second year is a team option and they can get out of it. If it turns out he's not what he used to be, if somehow he comes back and he turns out to be just as effective as he was before he went out, then hell you got him at a bargain rate. And that's a good, that's a good thing. So I would try, I would try to see if he could, if he could gut it out. He wants to, he wants to stay. He's been wanting to stay in Indiana despite erroneous reports that he demanded to leave. He likes Indiana. He wants to be with the Pacers. Uh, I don't know how that might have changed. Now, that's from the la- my last communications with people close to the situation. How things have changed since then, I don't know. I haven't, you know, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with that. But, you know, I think he wants to, to, to find a way to stay. So I think him wanting to find a way to stay and be loyal to the organization that supported him, 
but also that the team wanting to say, hey, we can get him at a good number. And based on the way we're building this roster, you know, again, six, eight guy who can fill it up um, when he gets hot and, you know, he kind of fits that mold. You know, he showed he can be real dogged defensively uh, when he really wants to and he locks in. Um, I think those are the kind of guys they want. Um, obviously healthy, but they need to move away from, you know, the big, slow plotting guys, which is why they got, you know, when they drafted Isaiah, Isaiah Jackson, um, they want to get faster. TJ Warren isn't some spectacularly fast athlete, but he's a good athlete. But they want to get faster and they want to get quicker. They want to just play more and, you know, be able to just kind of play just in flow without having to call as many play calls and just hit people, bam, bam, bam. And that's the kind of team they want to become. So to do that, you did have to get rid of Sabonis. Like I said, to do that, I think you're going to have to find a way to get around Brogdon. I think you have to find a way to get around. Uh, McConnell fits that kind of mold a little bit, but he's too small and he doesn't shoot well enough. Um, so they still have some, I think they still have some, some moves to make, but TJ Warren is a, is a, I, until you brought him up, I totally forgot about him. It happens. Guy he was on the roster. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. No, and I and I feel the same way. I was actually messaging Tony East earlier today, and I was like, "Yeah, the Pacers have no fours besides O'Shea." He was like, "Well, they have, they have T.J. Warren." So I was like, "Yeah, you're right. I kind of forgot about that." But it's it's just like you know, it's so hard because you haven't seen him, you know, almost two years now, and out of sight, out of mind, right? But you know, it's it's an interesting conversation with T.J. Warren. We do get a lot of questions about him on the podcast, but you know, I'm just I'm just thinking about how the Pacers have kind of re structure their roster over these two trades. And I, I brought this up on our podcast yesterday, but if you look at what they got rid of in Karis Levert and Demacia Sabonis as the key points of the guys they moved on from, you're looking at two non-shooters and two guys that really struggle on the defensive end. And I threw Jeremy Lehman there for the defensive stuff, but obviously he's a better shooter and so is Holiday. But do you think that was a big, you know, philosophy thing with, with uh, Rick Carlisle wanting to move off guys that are just – pretty poor defenders and not really good three-point shooters because 
you know, there were some rumblings that, that Heald could be on the move still today, but um, it was appears, I think Zach Lowe said something like, you know, Carlisle likes the three-point shooting of Buddy Heald. So I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I would think Carlisle likes Buddy Heald too because of the three ball. Um, and, yeah, I mean, definitely, um, you know, Lavert and, you know, Lavert and Sabonis to me, you know, I, it's funny. Every time I said something positive about um, uh, um, Miles Turner or I said something about, you know, Sabonis not fitting with what they're trying to do, oh, the Miles Turner must be the person telling you that. And I was like, no, 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 no. You understand the philosophy of the team and what they're trying to get at. And they want to have the kind of style they want to play. Sabonis doesn't fit it. Levert fits it in the turn in the sense that, you know, he's a willing shooter and he's offensively conscious, but my gosh, what you lose on the other end, it makes it a, you, you know, you lose it. You know, you had a minus with him. He's a minus player. Um, so yeah, there's no doubt they want to move away from that. Um, I would imagine a guy like O'Shea Brissett benefits from this shift as well. Um, I think he benefits a lot. Um, I think Buddy Heald, like I said, um, because of the three ball benefits a lot. Um, so I think if you go down this roster and you look at it, um, it's going to take on that type of shape. Guys who can shoot the three, guys who who can defend or at least are willing to defend. You know, as we know, if, if you watch, I mean, t- tell me, who do you think was a worse defender, Jeremy Lamb in the zone or Karis LeVert uh, in a man-to-man? I don't know which one's worse. Like, <laughs> it's a toss-up. <laughs> great. It's, it ain't great. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's – I mean – they were really bad. And so I think there's no doubt. Jeremy Lamb, when aside from, you know, Carlisle coming in and wanting to put his print on, Car- Carlisle, Jeremy Lamb wasn't a Carlisle guy either the minute Carlisle came in. And so that's why they knew. I was told the minute he starts playing healthy, he's getting moved. Um, and so it's not a question of, you know, if he's getting moved with Lamb. I, I actually reported that as well. It's going to happen. So that was a foregone conclusion. To me, Domas getting moved was a foregone conclusion in some ways. I still had trouble seeing it happen because I didn't know if Herb would step in and say no. I thought Herb might stop that and say, okay. Um, but um, it's, 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 they, they want to get away from that identity. You know, the defensive identity, they keep talking about this defensive identity. Hey, we play. Indiana basketball, I mean, when is the last time they've really played Indiana da- basketball for any long stretch of time? It's been, what, three years? years? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Since Dan Burke was here. I mean, it's it's been a, quite a few years. And that's the thing. They've lost – you know, I was talking to somebody earlier this week, um, and he's like, yeah, the Pacers, they've lost that um, – they lost that identity, but they lost that grip. They lost the um, – you know, when, when they lost – when they lost Dan Burke, who was kind of like the last – excuse me, Uh, the last of, you know, in terms of the culture setters, you know, you always hear him talk about culture, this culture, that culture, culture, culture. But when Dan Burke went out the door, he was like the last piece because, you know, Donnie Walsh is gone. Um, You know, if you look all the way through the organization that they've lost so many people who've been a part of that identity and helping establish that, and most of them are gone. And, you know, and I said to the the person I was talking to, I says, you know what? I says, you think about it, like, who with the Pacers before this trade? Who with the Pacers would you say was really like had that that it that grit factor? Like, like no, it's like you think about it. Um, 
I remember about three years ago when Miles Turner, maybe four years ago, he got hurt in Brooklyn. He injured his ankle, and then he missed like 16, 17 games. And it didn't look like it was that bad of an injury, but he was being interviewed by media after, after a practice one day when we saw him practicing. And we say, okay, how close are you are to playing? Because it looked like he, you know, he was running up and down. Well, I'm 97%, and, um, you know, so I'm not going to play, which kind of caught me sideways. And somebody, there was somebody else there who made eye contact with me, and we had a discussion about how he probably should not have said that out loud. <laughs> and it's Definitely like, not. Yeah, 97%, you're 97% there. Do you know how many? Now, the one thing, all the criticisms you can, you can throw at Sabonis, if Sabonis is 85%, he's playing. Completely agree there. If he's 80%. Now, he may be a complete uh, – he may be, get, be even worse defensively as a result, but he's going to try. And the only way he's not going to play is if you stop him from playing. Okay. Whereas Turner was said he was at 97% and he wouldn't play. And then you have Brogdon, you know, the knock on Brogdon when he came from Milwaukee. You know, I, I knew a couple people uh, there in Milwaukee. Uh, and, and one person told me, like, you know, he's one of those guys. If he's not 100%, he's not going in. And that frustrated them a lot. And so you have a guy in Brockton who's, oh, you know, if he's 95%, he's not playing. <laughs> and, and so that's not – so that doesn't quite match with the identity of a team that's supposed to be playing hard, laying it all out on the line, you know, you know, you know the, the hard hat lunch pail. That doesn't sound like that kind of team to me. So I just felt like they were in a little bit of an identity crisis in that regard. No, they absolutely were. The one thing I'll say about Justin Holliday is that man was an Iron Man. Where like he tried to play every single game, but across across the team, it was not like that. So uh, you know that comment about ninety seven percent should never get out there because it makes you then completely question a player's toughness for better or worse. Maybe the medical staffs hold them out. I don't know, but you don't want to be revealing that. But for my last question, uh, and, and as it relates to Turner, but um, for my last question, I would just say, if there's one more move to be had, what would you like the Pacers to do or what would you have liked the Pacers to have done? Hmm. What kind of move would I like? Um, let's see. Um, probably, I mean, to me, they had to make a move at point guard. Like, that's getting, that's getting back to the whole Brogdon thing because you got Brogdon and, you know, and T.J. McConnell and Lance is – I haven't watched lately. Lance is, is doing a lot of ball handling too, right? Um, yeah, he's playing like, you know, he's handling the ball, playing some off ball a little bit there, but not, not as much now with McConnell out. He's been playing that backup point guard. Yeah, and see, that spot for me has been a problem spot since I've been there. Like Darren Collison was did some good things but wasn't really quite what you needed. And then you yeah, Corey Joseph – defended well couldn't shoot you know that kind of they've never quite figured out that spot well Brogdon was supposed to be the answer you know six four six five big physical but obviously he has the health issues TJ McConnell we know what his issues are um and um I mean hell Ricky Rubio might be the healthiest point guard in the lineup um but but for me getting a actual reliable point guard would be great um uh, 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 a a Shea Gilgis kind of guy, like that kind of guy. Imagine what he would look like with, with this lineup, with the way this team is reshaping, like somebody like that. I think they need that kind of ball handling. 
Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about this upcoming draft. And, of course, Jaden Ivey is someone that Pacer fans are in love with, especially with the Indiana connections here with Purdue. Um, my last question for you, obviously, the Pacers and the Magic are both in the top of the lottery yeah. right now. Orlando definitely a little bit closer to number one. But um, from what you're getting down there in Orlando, who is the who is the player that those fans would love to see in our Orlando Magic uniform? You mean at the trade deadline? Well, I'm talking about at the draft, you know, in terms of who do they want to take number one overall or number two, wherever they land. I'm not sure if there's a lot of buzz out there in terms of, you know, potential prospects, but for here it's been Jaden Ivy Mania. I haven't really, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of talk about that. I don't think quite like the the energy is, look, as bad as it is in Indy in terms of, you know, um, with, you know, how the fans feel about the team. Like, in Orlando, they're kind of apathetic. <laughs> they, <laughs> they've been so conditioned to losing. It's like, whatever. Because um, they, they're constantly – the Magic are constantly rebuilding. Right. Like, I mean, they're, 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 they're like the person who goes to college and he's like the eighth-year senior. Like, they're just – it's always – he always – like, it's the same thing over and over. You never quite graduate. Well, the, the Magic never really quite graduate out of rebuilding. Um, you know, there's, I think they want a big, um, because you think Mo Bamba, who they didn't offer an extension to, you figure he's going to walk, um, and he hasn't quite lived up to what they want. Um, you can't trust Jonathan Isaac isn't a five by any stretch of imagination. So, um, um, and, and his health is unreliable, but, you know, I think they want a reliable, big Robin Lopez is the second best big on the team so I think they believe what Jalen Suggs who I'm still kind of iffy on I'm not sold on him totally Jalen Suggs when Markel Fultz comes back uh Cole Anthony has proven to be a really good player this year is he a starter or is he a guy that comes off the bench I don't know I think they think they're good at guard I think they like the kid you know um it was the Gonzaga big dude oh Chet Holmgren Holmgren Yep. Yeah. I think the, yeah, I think that's a name I've heard like some people talk about, but I wouldn't say that there's this buzz about if they don't take Chet Holmgren, all of Orlando is going to do a big face palm. Um, yeah. But I think they're looking at getting a big man who they can, that they can rely on because they haven't really had it. And when they did have a bunch of bigs, they had like five or six of them who played the same position at one time and didn't really fit when they had like Booch and Biombo and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, they, they Tim had, Birch. Yeah, they had like all of these bigs, and it didn't make any sense. So now they have a dearth of bigs, and nobody who they really can say is a centerpiece to the team. So I, I would say that that position probably okay. would be desirable. Because I'm gonna tell you right now, the dude Franz Wagner, he is nice. Yeah, yeah, he really yeah. is. I was yeah. low on him. Yeah, proven wrong. You know, you know what? He's proving me wrong. And I was talking to a scout about this the other day. Um, I didn't think he was going to be as this good defensively as he's been. He's been really, I agree. really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and no, I think with Chet Holmgren, the, the same way that you think, you know, Orlando fans probably feel about wanting him, I think Pacer fans feel the complete opposite. I don't think anybody wants to see another white center in Indiana for a while. <laughs> so, Trying to break uh, the stereotype, you know. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, they're like, God, don't. I'm like, you know, what's funny is uh, everyone's going to be laughing because we finally broke up Turbonus. Then they're going to get Chet Holmgren in here and it's going to mess with Miles' playing time and it's going to mess everybody uh, up. Uh, you can't go back to that. 
Oh, man. If you go back to taking another – look, if the Pacers draft another big, that means Turner's getting traded. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel. Point. Yeah, especially with Isaiah Jackson. I mean, I think that Carlisle really likes him. I've never seen him gush about um, a rookie like that before. And, I mean, he showed a lot in that Clippers game when he was healthy and then injured his ankle in that first play against the Magic. So, you know, two just things. bad luck for the Pacers with injuries. You know, all about that, though. Yeah, two, th- <laughs> two, things, two things I told you guys and I wrote before I left. Isaiah Jackson – they think they can play Isaiah Jackson with Miles Turner, okay? That was after the draft happened. They went through training camp and all that stuff. That that Isaiah Jackson, they believed if they could, if they believed that they could be a decent mid-level, not too bad, not bottom of the league rebounding, but be serviceable rebounding with Isaiah and Miles Turner. That's the route they were going to go. I report. Yeah. I report. People thought I was crazy. I was like, no, nah, man. They believe in Isaiah Jackson that much. Uh, the other thing, Chris Duarte would be a full-time starter by the time we hit the All-Star break. And they clearly made moves to make that the case. Yeah, I mean, hey, if anything, it was overdue. I mean, it was just a matter of time knowing that Levert had to be on his way because you have to enable Duarte to grow to his full potential. So I'm happy that the Pacers did. But, Jay, we missed you. We appreciate you coming on. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Uh, you can find me at this is J Michael, all one word, J M I C H A E L, and you can call me an E as much as you want there, because I will certainly be having. All right, Jay, thank you, man. <laughs> all right, guys, hey, good to talk to you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.